Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fregan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. NachumSiegel.com and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. And I'm happy to welcome for this show an important guest, Rabbi Dr. Israel Singer, professor of political science at Terrell College, former White House aide, if you want to go back uh, 40 years, uh, or perhaps more, Secretary General of the World Jewish Congress, chairman of the World Jewish Registration Organization, the Claims Conference, too many titles to bear that's going to take us too long to go through. But what what I wanted to discuss right now in this year-end edition of the show is what's on everybody's minds, what everybody's thinking about it, is as we transition from the 45th president, for the 44th president of the United States to the 45th president of the United States, we have a, seems, on the face of it, a severe deterioration of the U.S.-Israel relationship as culminated in not one, but two events over the past week. Number one, the abstention in the United Nations Security Council of the United States of a resolution that called Israeli settlements illegal, even those in East Jerusalem, an obstacle to peace or the obstacle to peace and illegal under international law, essentially outlawed the idea of Jews living Judea, Samaria, East Jerusalem, even the old city. And all those terms that uh, we, especially this listenership, might be very offended by. Number two, the fast and furious reaction that came about to that was a speech by Secretary of State John Kerry, uh, not necessarily not known as a foe of Israel, but uh, certainly made a speech that made many pro-Israel, a pro-Israel person cringe with the, the I, with some really money lines from my point of view, uh, essentially laying the failure of the peace process at the feet of Israel, as well as saying that Israel can't be a democratic state if it continues or to a one-state solution. And the only way they're going to get to a two-state solution is for Israel to compromise, for Israel to give in, and Israel, Israel, Israel. Yeah, maybe make one or two sentences about the Palestinians who have refused to come to the negotiating table. So, Dr. Singer, welcome to the show, and let's get right into it. As far as have you seen over your career... A laying down the gauntlet. I know we saw it with Bush 41, with James Baker and Yitzhak Shamir. They didn't get along uh, and like. But have we really seen the United States government with a worldwide audience calling out Israel in such a way? No. And uh, that's a very, very clear answer that comes with uh, 45 years of experience. It comes with having been at uh, the World Jewish Congress uh, uh, for uh, about two-thirds of those years, and uh, having seen every president, visited with almost every president, having known every president in my experience uh, as president, except for President Obama, when I was already no longer at the World Jewish Congress, I can tell you that I've never experienced this, although there have been some low low points, and it would be important to mention some of them, and I hate to sound like somebody who's lived through everything. Uh, You can go back to 1956, Eisenhower. A long time, but I, I would like to mention that 1956 is not a period that I recall personally, but I would like to mention that there were periods, for instance, where the United States and Israel had some really unpleasant moments. Uh, Menachem Begin's prime ministership, which is today looked upon as a uh, a golden era because of the success that, that took place during his prime ministership, the, the great peace treaty that was arrived at, the 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 uh, uh, 
awards of uh, Nobel prizes that were given, uh, and, and uh, the 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 impressive uh, quality that Begin had to be able to make peace with uh, his uh, his most important uh, adversary uh, under the guidance of an American president who was certainly not viewed as his friend or the friend of Israel. And certainly since he left office, uh, President Carter has been the cause of most of the uh, ideas that were presented in President Obama's speech. And I think it's worthwhile for all of us to remember uh, the the lack of friendship of previous presidents to Israel. And uh, the first among many that I would like to list would be, and not the, uh, anyone but the Jimmy Carter. But let me let me take this point of view and tell you that well, Jimmy Carter is who comes to mind for everybody, right? There, he that, comes that's to the mind obvious first, question. And uh, since I opposed him in the election campaign and supported uh, the only Republican, and that's a surprising to you probably, Michael Fragan, you know, has not been so uh, closely a, 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 a aware of you know my my uh, Democrat uh, position in so many elections. I would like to say that I really opposed uh, Jimmy Carter from the very outset and found him to be uh, someone whose views with regard to Israel were not uh, something that I... But we're not talking about Carter now. We're talking about President Obama. And I've met President Obama in various uh, capacities, uh, and uh, I basically had this conversation with him uh, on uh, several occasions. And I can tell you that, you know, he's always held these views. Uh, he... Well, sat what, what, what view? Let's, let's he actually... held the views that Israel is the single biggest and most important uh, contradiction uh, to uh, uh, America's perspective, and that's how he presents it. And that perspective being that there needs to be peace in the Middle East, and the absence of peace in the Middle East is the cause of a tremendous amount of difficulty in the rest of the world, and the lack of peace in the Middle East means the lack of peace between Israel and the Palestinians, and that's something which looks to me like uh, a, a flawed set of thoughts these days when someone looks next door at what's going on in Syria uh, with ISIS fighting with uh, uh, the Alawites in, in Syria and the Russians and the Turks and the Kurds all participating in this melee in the United States, not sure what it's doing. Uh, I think that the Israelis and the Palestinians have really nothing to do with any of these things that are going on, particularly since the United States has been for the last 20 years or so, uh, close to that, uh, involved in the Middle East and have been doing little with regard to uh, getting peace uh, reestablished re uh, in the Middle East through their terrible uh, uh, participation in, in Afghanistan and then, of course, their lack of clarity in, uh, in Iraq. Uh, I want to tell you that Israel and the Palestinians have nothing to do with any of this. The Middle East is a cauldron which we continue with a lack of clarity of our foreign policy to uh, cause further difficulty. Uh, and uh, the American government, uh, in an absence of any policy at all that has been expressed with regard to how to deal with uh, our enemies, has decided to do the usual thing, and that is to find somebody uh, that uh, they could blame for their own lack of clarity and make it uh, the state of Israel. I, I really would like to say that many of my colleagues and friends over the years have felt that you know the American antagonism towards Israel uh, is looking upon Israel as the Jew among the nations, and they all feel that this is a form of new anti-Semitism. I do not share any of this. I believe that the United States is just misguided, and this particular president is more misguided than other previous presidents than himself. For instance, I think that no president has used the words, uh, except for Jimmy Carter, that was used by Obama, his uh, erstwhile student, and uh, I think that that is something that needs to be pointed out 
And it needs to be said in the context of the substance of the issue that we're dealing with. And that is, it is assumed that the President of the United States wants to make peace in the Middle East. And his petulant lack of success, his arrogant failure, has decided to be expressed at the United Nations in condemning Israel rather than himself and his lack of clarity as to how to do this, because even Jimmy Carter knew how to do things but, like but this. But to do that with less than a month left... Is as, just vengeance on his just, part. So it's, it's personal. It's embarrassing, it's personal, and it takes most of what he hopes to be a series of successes with regard to his own legacy and muddy it and bloody it. And I would like to say to you that he has done harm to himself by far that's greater than that of what he's done to Israel because Israel will survive even Barack Obama. But I do want to tell you that for me this is very painful. I, as a liberal Democrat in many, many ways, find this to be a stab in the back that goes beyond my entire experience. Uh, let me explain why for a moment. Sure. I'd like to tell you that you'll never get any nation to make peace unless they feel secure. You're not going to get Israel to cut off their noses to please Obama. It's not the way the Israelis ever worked. No one ever forced Israel to the peace table. People encouraged Israel to the peace table. They made them feel strong enough to go to the peace table. They got the other side to participate in coming to the peace table. Even Arafat, who I may have been the only Jewish leader who didn't ever shake hands with him and find that to be something I'm very proud of, not because... Not because I didn't think that Israel needs to make peace with him, and not because I think the Prime Minister of Israel, in his own reluctant manner on the White House lawn in front of me, eventually shook hands uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Arafat at the urging of Mr. Clinton, who also tried to make, but he succeeded. This president just failed miserably, and because of his frustration at his own failure, and Mr. Kerry, in addition to the president, the flying American uh, who spent so few nights at home i wonder you know how uh, the the well, that, that's, family that's kind of his job right it's uh, not his job his job is to represent the united states sometimes the world he's got a right nice he's plane. a diplomat he's, he's, to... he's the american deputy dip diplomat in chief the president is a diplomat in chief and i think his boss probably sent him off because he didn't want to hear those long rambling speeches that he made today at home and he'd it, rather it was, other countries heard it was them, a fact, but it was in fact a very long speech. Let me just I just wanna because there's there's so much You can't you can't I, I, I do want to say what, one thing. what you is can't, it? You what can't take Israel, pull the plug on Israel and tell Israel now you need to come and treat them as if they were a servant, servile nation. Israel doesn't operate that way, and I think the United right, States and, and at the nobody, years should know and that no, you can't make peace with a country by forcing them to make peace. So exactly that exactly. No country is willing to do that. I mean what other country what I, what I find to be defeated nations here. sometimes what? are forced to have that done. Israel right, is not a defeated nation, correct? Not by the United States, and he was treated that way by the the current president and his secretary of state, and they were pushing Israel around as if it were a servile ally, vassal, and that doesn't happen state. to vassal states. So what is it? That Israel is not a vassal. State. Was it that the current administration, the White House, Ben Rose, whoever is calling the shots, whether it's whether it's Rice or Samantha Power or it's Obama himself, whoever it is, or Kerry, what don't they get? 
about the Middle East? What is it that they're they're, one, that think- they're they're failing on? I mean, whether it, 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 it's Syria, I mean, some are saying, and cynically, and hopefully it's cynically, because hopefully that's not the case, that this whole speech and this whole episode was to divert attention from this the abject failure in Syria. I mean, no it's just question incredible about the fa- fact failure. that you're right on that, Mr. Fragan. I'd like to tell you very. Well, I very- can't take credit entirely for that. It wasn't my idea. I just think it's true. I think you're presenting it well, and I think that it's very, very clear that the United States' failure in the Middle East, continued failure in the Middle East and continued failure to clarify their future position uh, is uh, one that, that you know, has forced them into a situation to find someone other than themselves to blame, and they've decided to make Israel the whipping boy. Somebody's got to be at blame, and this is not where the action is taking place at this time. In fact, it may be a cynical attempt at trying to do exactly what you said, and that is to draw attention away from where the Americans have done the following. Number one, played Lackey to the Russians, not having had the courage to even express to the Russians what they feel about the way the Russians have been bombing civilians in Syria, number one. Number two, the fact that the United States has failed to support their supporters in the Middle East, such as the Kurds, and they don't know how to explain that. Number three, how they have continued to remain silent in the face of the monstrous behavior of Mr. Assad and his Alawites, and uh, uh, who I understand... uh, have no other choice but to behave the way they do in that kind of an unfriendly uh, universe called Syria in which the losers generally die. But the really important point to make is that the American government had no positive statement to make with regard to their own lack of legacy in the Middle East at large, and the only way they could do it was to dig back into the past at a situation that has existed for a very long time in which people used to encourage, cajole, beg, and suggest, pay off the two parties to come to the White House lawn to be able to make peace, and they decided this time that they're going to club them just one side, and that would be a system that would work. I would like to suggest to Mr. Obama, if he expects to get very much money making this speech in his next incarnation, he's making a mistake, because most people are not going to want to hear what he has to say about this. He's not going to be able to talk about the Middle East in an objective way to anyone, not even in the Middle East. Not even in the Middle East. I expect that he's not going to be getting too many invitations to Qatar. What everybody says is that the level of military cooperation is unprecedented, the $38 billion. Look at all the good things that the Obama administration has done for Israel over the course of the last eight years, the unprecedented intelligence sharing, terrorism sharing. Uh, we know that Chuck Hagel had a, he, who, despite the fact he came into office as less than friendly to Israel, the, he was emblematic of a defense secretary who was very close to the Israel military establishment. And even the Israelis have praised the Americans for that. So they say, look at that and don't judge us by this, I guess, folly of a speech here. But really, we, how, just to go back to it for a second, we're where did they go wrong with you you had a friendship a relationship with Rabin and with Perez and Kerry was channeling his Perez at least he claimed to at the end of his speech he was channeling Perez this today which I thought was uh I well it just was gratuitous in my mind but they're saying, well, you know, we have to say these things because this is how friends speak to each other. Do the, do friends always air their dirty laundry in, in front of everybody? 
That is a very, very clear statement, and maybe friends do have to speak to each other this way, and even relatives, but they don't do it at the United Nations, and they don't do it while they're participating in observing a condemnation of their friend. That's not done. And the Israelis have felt very comfortable with regard to American diplomacy over the last 70 years, knowing that they had a friend from Harry Truman on, who was the first to recognize Israel, uh, to... Uh, the early part of the Obama administration, as you correctly said, uh, when uh, Chuck Hagel turned from a person who was relatively neutral to a person who was friendly. Now, that is not something which occurred just because the president gave people instructions to do this. That happened because there were people on the Hill uh, and uh, people on the Hill who worked very hard to continue to give that support. And that's why the financial arrangement, which was attached to the American foreign policy uh, arrangement in general, uh, was so described. It's not that the president ordered these things to happen, insisted that they happen, but he wouldn't have gotten the rest of his... So it's in spite of him. It's, I or wouldn't along say in spite with him, him, but along but with... But he wasn't the leader. He was a participant. He was certainly not the leader in making sure that all these goodies came to Israel. In fact, he would have found many ways over the last few years, because his relationship with the Prime Minister of Israel, whom we haven't mentioned at all, uh, was at we're, best... We're going to get to that. ...at best troubling, and uh, at worst, possibly the cause of this. Now, the Prime Minister's visitation last year, and that's the only way to describe it to the United States, over the objections of the President, ignoring the host in the House and going to speak to the House without the host being present, uh, was clearly an act of violence on the part of the Prime Minister of Israel to the American political system as we know it, and it embarrassed the President and it humiliated him, and he doesn't know how to take humiliations, which is a grave behavior pattern for the chief diplomat of a very powerful nation. Presidents of the United States have been humiliated by countries before, and those presidents had the intelligence and the wisdom, if they ever expected to deal with those people in the future, to take those humiliations and to find some subtle way, as opposed to clubbing Israel on the head at the family of nations, giving the hate of some countries the opportunity to have something to hang their hats on, which they can now call international law. Let me take this opportunity to tell you, international law is something which you know I teach, and I would like to take this opportunity to say no resolution at the United Nations has anything to do with that vague concept called international law. There is no such thing. And these fears that people have that they're going to arrest Israeli officials that will travel in foreign countries and that the ICC will do that, I think it's about time that the ICC should reassess how it behaves to sovereign countries and to their leaders, uh, unless they're world-class criminals who have violated you know, principles of behavior between countries. Here you have a very serious question. You have a very serious question. No one has asked the obvious question, which the Prime Minister of Israel asked the President. And the President doesn't want to realize this. He asked the President, why don't you bring me the Palestinians in an agreement to recognize the state of Israel as it sees itself, and we will recognize you. The government of Israel has said that as a quid pro quo. The President of the United States has been unable. The Secretary of State has been unable with all his travels and all the places he's gone to to be able to achieve anything in these along these lines. Why should the Israeli government even consider having anything to do with a country that doesn't recognize its existence? 
Arab countries that have recognized the existence of either a cold peace or a warmer peace or a warm peace with Israel. Even those countries that haven't recognized Israel have some kind of good relationship. Right. So let's get to Prime Minister Netanyahu for a second. Uh, some would say, and we mentioned the speech last year, I thought, this, and I've said it on the show, uh, I should identify this as spin class, and so we're talking politics with Rabbi Dr. Israel Singer, professor of political science at Toro College, amongst other titles, uh, that Netanyahu's speech was very ill-timed, ill-conceived, just a misread of the political situation, and probably helped the Iran deal politically get passed. But the other, another thing, just with regard to this, is that the open jubilation on the part of the Israeli government at the election of Donald Trump and the hope essentially that, well, Trump's coming in, so everything will be fine. Now, you want to, let's just, we're assuming, of course, that Obama took this action out of some personal spite or personal peevishness, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But in fact, if it is possible, of course, that the Israelis precipitated it. And why didn't Netanyahu wait a couple weeks? That's all he had to do was wait, sit tight, don't do anything, don't make new announcements, just let it ride out, and you'll have a new administration that's clearly more favorable to you. But instead, some have said that he stuck his finger in the eye of the president, and Obama wanted to say, hey, I'm still here, I'm still relevant, and this, and I can still hurt you. All of what it, you do, it doesn't sound good, but it's it's unfortunately that doesn't mean it should be done, even if uh, even if you can, you know, even if it doesn't sound good on Obama's part afterward. <laughs> Let me take this uh, moment to tell you that I have grave difficulties in punishing the person who was beaten on the head, uh, and uh, in enough. this case, Israel was the victim of. President Obama's misbehavior and to find out why the president chose to victimize him, even if he did something wrong, is not the way a, uh, a, a remarkably important leader of the world who happens to be the president of the outgoing president attempting to create a legacy uh, of understanding of world affairs of a person who's looking to have a future in the rest of his life, you know, coming out with uh, having done things which are important doesn't go and mess it up because the Prime Minister of Israel didn't behave as the Americans would have expected a friend to behave. And maybe he would have been wise to wait the next couple of weeks and let the next president deal with this problem of Israel's right-wing government, which Prime Minister Netanyahu was frustrated at dealing with and didn't know how to deal with more effectively. But let me tell you one thing, and this we have to remember. President Obama didn't write this entire dialogue uh, with the world uh, last year, last week, this week, or the last two days. Uh, he's been writing this for the last eight years. And uh, his frustration at not having... So this was an ambush. He was waiting for this to happen. He absolutely was. And as time started running out on his being able to do something else, this option became the only option he had left. And he didn't want to leave office without saying anything about his favorite Middle East causational uh, difficulty for all of the problems that he couldn't solve. So he had to blame uh, the uh, short guy. Now, I do want to call Israel the short guy in this thing because you always beat up the little guy in the class. He didn't say anything about Putin 
you know, he could have said that Putin was behaving badly and deserved to be condemned uh, for having taken over Crimea yeah. as a goodbye present to another superpower, but he decided not to do that. There's no speech about that occupation. There's no speech about that occupation whatsoever, and there wasn't even a speech about whether he would consider, you know, behaving poorly towards the other NATO countries that are sitting there and shivering at the present time uh, at what might happen. Uh, he decided that he would go for the short guy. And this is something which I consider awful for a person who is so sensitive about people who feel insecure, who has spoken so many times about the weaker sister and who has spoken so many times about America's role as making the nations who feel insecure secure enough to be able to behave in a manner that makes them a part of the international world world community. Uh, I think treating Israel this way, knowing how insecure they feel, knowing how horrific their experience has been because of their uh, terrorism in their own country, because of the violence, because of the missiles that continue to fly, because of the lack of security the Israelis feel by so many countries and only temporarily discontinued because there is another more important war taking place in the Middle East, in Syria right now, that the Israelis have been somewhat forgotten, thank God, uh, the president decided to remind everyone, to remind us all, don't forget, uh, that is a terrible, terrible way to deal do, with this Does problem. this UN resolution really matter? I think that UN resolutions are excuses for countries that don't like other countries. Uh, I teach international relations and I teach international organization to my students, and I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you that I disagree with most of my friends who say that the United Nations doesn't have any importance. It does. It has importance in that it leads— The United Nations or the United States? The United States United and States. the United Nations— uh, with the United States as one of the five countries that have a veto power, uh, certainly one of the two big veto powers in the United Nations. Let me, let me clarify that. The United Nations gives excuse to any country that wants to behave badly to Israel as a justifying background principle because in the United Nations, every statement begins with recalling, remembering, and they therefore will use this condemnation to be recalling Israel's misbehavior in light of the condemnation. This condemnation is a groundbreaking uh, event that the United States for the first time has done. Take, for instance, you mentioned Bush 41. Bush 41 will be remembered forever because he had Zionism as racism at the United Nations repealed. Let me remind you that that vice, that, that former vice president who was around uh, in the administration while Zionism as racism was, was announced, he realized how Israel feels isolated as a result of their national ideology being condemned by a world body being called racists. Now, that has happened to only several countries in history. It's happened to South Africa. Israel is not South Africa. I want to tell you that, that there's a real arrogance on the part of the president to make a comparison as a person of color uh, to what happened to blacks in South Africa as to how Israeli Arabs, who are citizens in Israel, number one, or sure. those who aren't, are treated in Israel. It's a scandal. There's just no other way to describe the behavior of the president in uh, suggesting this kind of comparison and equality. The equalization... Okay, of I got to get one more question in because we're because we're running out of time. Will... There is a theory going on right now that Netanyahu is going to feel tremendously boxed in by Trump 
that with Trump to the right of him, with with David Friedman as his UN amb- uh, sorry Israel ambassador to uh, American ambassador to Israel, that being them being to the right of Netanyahu, he and with part of his government being to the right of him, it's going to be difficult for him politically in Israel. Do you subscribe to that? No, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that Friedman is going to be a, an intelligent person, and, and whatever, well, he is an intelligent person. Whatever, no I, question he's about going that. to be an intelligent person as an ambassador, not only as a bankruptcy lawyer. I know he's an excellent bankruptcy lawyer, and he's been a very good citizen as a Jewish. Well, Trump's had a lot of bankruptcies, so he's been he's advantaged been, by that. He handled those well, right? And he made them almost palatable to uh, the American voter. But the interesting thing—that's why I have great hope for him as an ambassador if he gets point proof. But I do want to tell you that I think he's going to know how to be an American ambassador to Israel by doing the following. He's going to try and uh, not be to the right of the uh, Israeli prime minister because he's going to know that that is not what a good ambassador does, and he knows how to be a lawyer. He's going to be the lawyer for the United States as well, I might add, not for the Israelis, and I think that what he's going to do is he's not going to be too far off from what his president suggests, so he's going to have to be be a presidential spokesman in Israel and Jerusalem and tell the prime minister of Israel what the United States thinks and what the United States feels. And I believe that President Trump uh, is going to be a president who is going to have the understanding of who his friends in the Middle East are because he already told us who they aren't. And we know that. And I have very great hope, despite the fact that I might not have been the person who chose President Trump, but I can tell you that I am the person who has great hopes for him. And I am a person who's gravely disappointed by the last few weeks of President Obama's presidency with regard to foreign policy in the yeah, Middle East. Yeah, I think, I think we all are. And uh, just on a political note, I just want to get, and I'm going to have the last word here, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Singer for joining us here, uh, because as always, time is always short. Uh, this, to me, is a political loser of the to the nth power uh, for the Democrats. Uh, it's It just shows that Obama... Doesn't care about the party. Doesn't care. He, he facing uh, a number of Democrats in red states that Trump carried uh, in Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania, all seeking re-election. Missouri. They're going to have a very a tough time, an uphill time, not just because of Jewish voters, but also remember evangelical voters and and religious Christians value Israel. They care about the Israel relationship, and there is a tremendous amount of fundraising at the top Democratic fundraisers are pro-Israel Jews, Chaim Saban, and the like. And this is a real... Let me uh, add a one real thing to, to for, your for conclusion. I would okay, like very to say quickly, that in three seconds or less. Jews are going to take it out on those people who supported the president's position on Israel, and they're going to be very angry, I think. If I, I were I, no in J qu- Street no now, I would it. not be happy. No question gone. about it. Anyway, this is Spin Class. Thanks for joining us here for another Thursday morning of political talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.